0: Well, good morning church. Welcome to our worship service and if you are new and joining us for the first time, a special welcome to you. Thank you for carving out some time this morning to join us uh, as we worship together. You know, as we come before God this morning, are we desperate for more of God? Or are we content with just the status quo? Is our goal to get as much as we can from God and what he can provide and the gifts that he gives, whether it's power, whether it's uh, money, whether it's influence, or is it simply just to get more of him, just to be satisfied uh, at his feet in his presence? Listen to this, the sense of desperation of David for God uh, in Psalm chapter 63. Oh God, you are my God as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I invite you to come and worship with that same sense of desperation. Let's all stand.
1: guilt upon your cross. I found new life from what was lost. I am free. How can it be? Yeah. You broke the power of cancer sin. You brought this child back home. Can it be? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of your grace. Oh, you crushed the stake over the depths of my shame over the prison of fear you have the victory here over the sting of the grave you are faithful and mighty to save let us all
0: with the God of the universe. It gives us uh, a, a way to commune with him and worship him unhindered. But the gospel is more than just this vertical relationship with God. The cross uh, enables us and commands us to have a horizontal uh, approach to our love, to love our own love our neighbors, love our enemy, enemies, those around us. And so that's my prayer. My prayer is that as a church, we might love God in a vertical sense and love our neighbors horizontally. My prayer is that we might be more like Jesus.
1: deserve Washing my feet Covering me With your love If more of you Means less of me Take Everything Yes all of you Is all I need Take Treasure, the one that I can't live without. Here at your feet, my desires and dreams I lay down. Oh, here at your feet, my desires.
0: It to you, laid at your feet, and we want to say we want to be more like Jesus. Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. He is our great example, and we pray that we might live out the gospel in that same way by loving you, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but loving our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to understand the full scope of the gospel. Thank you for this time, God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just work in our hearts. That your your word just sink deep and and take root in our heart that we might become more like Jesus. Thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all may be seated.
2: Well, hey, good morning, Calvary Church. It's good to see you guys, and for those who are online right now, uh, thanks for being here with us. Uh, man, that song, uh, the melody is amazing, um, <clears throat> and then halfway into the amazing melody, the words always grab me, uh, you know, if, if more of you is what I need, take everything. Oof, pretty to sing. Um, I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty. I love that song but uh, to reach a point in our lives where that actually is something that we're willing to say uh, is significant. Um, It's a good song, right? It always puts in front of us, uh, is Jesus and more of him the most valuable thing to us, or are there things that we're holding on to that are good things that we don't want him to take because we'd rather have those than him, and that is Part of what He puts us through as disciples to bring us to the place that He's shaping every single one of us is to be like Jesus and reflect Him. So thanks to the team up here uh, for leading us in that. Thanks to all of you who participated through singing in that. Um, and it's just a great song, and I'm grateful that we had a chance to sing it today. A couple of quick <clears throat> housekeeping things. You know, every church has a few different things that are dilemmas of what do we do with all these? One of the things that every church wrestles with is announcements, right? Announcements. When do you do announcements? Do you do it before? Do you do it after? Do you do it after. But we're going to take like three or four minutes to do some announcements here um, because we just want to keep you guys updated on some things. What we're striving to do, we rolled this out a couple months ago at Calvary is our vision, right, that together... For those of us who call Calvary Church our church home, we are striving to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. Build a body of disciples who personally and then collectively reach and impact others with God's love and God's truth. That's what we're rallying around. That's what we've restructured some of our staffing around some of our systems around, some of our events around, and so I just want to let you know a few different ways in the coming weeks, in the coming months, that you can engage in helping build a body, grow as a disciple, or make an impact, and you will find all of that amazing information in one of these little things called the church bulletin, right? Because we do not want to do announcements every single week for five or six minutes, but we do want you to know. So maybe a new mantra here at Calvary is bring God's word, grab a bulletin bring God's word, grab a bulletin. I'll make up a t-shirt. On the front, i will say, bring God's word. And the back, it'll say, grab a bulletin. Okay. And if you grab the bulletin, here are some things that you might read about. We have an amazing opportunity for a handful or a good number of people in our church to help build a body. We want our body to be a group of people who are known, cared for, and connected. Known, cared for, and connected. And the first step is if you're intrigued at Calvary or you feel that this is the place God called you, we want to know you're here. And so we would invite you in this dealio. There's this visitor card. You can fill it out and drop it in one of the brown offering boxes. Like I say sometimes, those are offering boxes, not suggestion boxes. (laughs) Pizza Hut and Chick-fil-A have suggestion boxes. Those are offering boxes. Well, we'd love for you if we wanna put your name on here, contact, drop it in there, or there's a way for you digitally through QR code. But we can't help you engage in our body if we don't know you're part of the body. And we do know there's a lot of people that regularly attend who we don't even know that you're here we wanna know. And a way for us to care for one another within the body is we need some people to help drive some of our wonderful pe- folks who are over studying at the University of Bridgeport uh, to church on Sunday. So we have the privilege of having UB students at different levels of education uh, uh, want to be part of Calvary, right, or folks who are even working who have come to the UB program. And a handful of those folks need some rides this summer. And so we know that some folks signed up to give transportation. There is at least one email somewhere in your inbox, but if you've not, signed up to give transportation, you're like, man, I can pick up a couple of amazing people a mile or so away and drive them here. You can help connect and engage with people who want to be a Calvary church on Sunday morning by driving a mile or so away and driving here before church and after church and get to know some great folks. So, If you want to do that, there's a way in here to uh, inform Jim Taylor. There's his email address. I want to let you know that. Uh, The Rides for Students. Let me say one quick thing to the folks who are online. We've tracked our online numbers, and interestingly, they're pretty steady and actually growing. And we're grateful that our recordings and online can be a resource to people who can't make it here. We've never intended it to be a replacement. But here's what I'd say to the online people. Um, Before COVID there were two places. I don't know why I'm looking at you because you're here. I'll look at before COVID. There were two places that I would go at least once a week. Some of you know the one Licio's Meat Market. Licio's Meat Market. And then if you've ever had breakfast with me, 99% of you who have had breakfast with me at Calvary, we've gone to the former Marie's sandwich shop now known as Trumbull Grill, Trumbull Center Grill, right? Before COVID, I was probably at Marie's two to three times a week. Before COVID, I was at Licio's once a week. When COVID hit, it was two and a half years till I walked back into either of those places. I'm not being dramatic. Sometimes I'm a little dramatic. Two and a half years till I went back to Marie's where I had gone weekly or till I'd gone to Licios. About over the course of the past two weeks, for the first time, I walked back into those environments. And as I walked into those environments, uh, I felt awkward because I was there all the time and I hadn't been there for two and a half years. I'm kind of like, this is gonna be weird because I know I haven't been there. They know I haven't been here. What is this gonna be like? And after I walked into both those environments, what I honestly thought of is probably some of you who are online thinking, I used to go to that place all the time, but I haven't been there for two and a half years. And if I walk back in there, what's it going to be like? And I was so glad that I walked into Licio's Meatland and Trumbull Center Grill. And I was so glad because can I buy a hot dog anywhere? Sure. Can I stay at home and make my own eggs? Sure. But I was grateful to walk into those places because I saw for two and a half years people who I cared about and who cared about me. I know well the people who run the Trumbull Center Grill. We've had the Licio's Meatland people over to our house to cook their meat for them. It's (laughs) true. That's a little intimidating, but I pulled it off. Look. I was so glad I walked into those, because both of those groups of people were so glad to see me. And I was so glad to see them. All right? I could have gotten an egg anywhere, but I would have missed out on seeing people I cared about and who cared about me. And for those of you who maybe this is your malicious meatland online, let me just say this, right? Don't let the fact that you haven't been back keep you from coming back. Don't let the fact that you haven't been back keep you from coming back. Can you listen to a sermon there? Yeah, sure you can. Of course you can. A lot of you do do that. But you know what? You're missing out on seeing some people who you might care about, and you're missing out on people who care about you seeing you, and and we don't want to miss out. And we want our body, when possible, to be together and to be engaged. So a couple of thoughts on Build the Body. I know some of you are like, bro, is this a sermon? No, it's not. But the coffee's free, so get some more if you're getting sleepy. Hey, a way to grow as a disciple. We've extended our adult class. We're doing a class after this hour on culture, on truth, how do we know it? And for those who have come, I think, man, I've really enjoyed it. I think those who have participated in the conversation dialogue have uh, enjoyed it. So we're extending that until the middle of June. So we're, we're pushing further into the year, our adult classes. So we're going to follow that up with the kids' classes. And so a way that you can come and grow as a disciple is spend another 45 minutes or hour with us after this and talk about truth and talk about culture and talk about how do we even figure out how we pursue truth in our culture, what do we look to, what do we don't, and dialogue together about that because that is a way that a lot of us are growing deeper as a disciple who want to impact other people in our culture. We have two different ways we're impacting folks this summer. We have a team of students who are going to go to Philly. We have a team of adults going to the Dominican Republic. We have different ways we'll announce to you to partner with them, even if you're not going as they, as part of our body, go out to try to share and, and reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. Lots of different things going on that we're being, trying to be purposeful in helping to build the body, grow disciples, and make an impact. And for those who aren't engaged in that, we want you to be. Not because we, get, we don't get bonuses based on what the attendance is, but we have a great opportunity to help you pursue the person that God wants you to be, and, and we're trying to prayerfully and wisely create some environments to help you avail yourself of life in a body, growing as a disciple, <clears throat> not being inwardly focused. For reaching out to other people, so just want to put before you the new motto. If you haven't already done it, bring the word, grab a bulletin. Bring the word, grab the bulletin. Got it? Good. I may have a T-shirt next week. No, I won't. That would be ridiculous. <clears throat> um, and you know, kind of a hard shift here, but um, man, you know the the opportunity and the need to be a body in Fairfield County, in the town that we're in, who shares God's love and truth to other people is hugely critical. Um, Because there are all around us people who are hurting. And evidence of that is I'm sure most of you have been keeping aware of what's happened with one high school student who attended a school here in Trumbull, um, and another high school student who attended a school in Fairfield. And at one party, In about three minutes, two families' lives have been changed forever. And I don't know them, but I can only imagine the devastation that both of those families are facing. And so, as a body who wants to love our community well, I'm just going to kind of start our time by just praying for the Lord to provide supernatural strength. To those people um, because i don't know how you could make it through without that and so i would ask you to join me in prayer for that and then we'll pray what we always pray that god will help speak to us through his word this morning which we'll jump into in just a moment so let me pray father i'm grateful for the people that you have brought here together at calvary church i'm grateful for There's just the relationships and friendships that I have with so many in this room and observing the care that so many in this room have for one another and uh, will you keep our body strong, will you keep our body united, will you keep our body focused on the things that you have for us in this season and not being apathetic and not being complacent um, but chasing after where you're leading us to personally and collectively uh, do more than just sit on the blue chairs. Father, we think today of uh, this family in Milford and the family of this Fairfield Prep student, um, and I don't even know how to pray, but I do know that you are a God who provides and offers supernatural peace, and you do that to people who have relationships with you, and you offer peace to people as common grace to people who don't. And so, Father, I pray that in a situation that we can't even begin to think about. You will work and provide peace and put out a foundation and bring truth and bring hope. And we ask You to do that. Father, we know that Your Word doesn't return void. We know that You have us purposefully and sovereignly in this sermon series that we're in this season and so I pray as we open up your word and hear from Jesus some of the very final things that he said that uh, I trust that this won't be wasted today again father and I trust that you have a purpose for these words in our lives together as a community and in our lives individually and so uh, I trust the spirit to work because there's nothing that I can do to ever convict encourage or exhort us the work of the spirit so Please work, Father, for your glory uh, so that Jesus is honored and glorified. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here last week or if you uh, checked us out online, either live streamed or during the week, what we talked about, right, you learned last week if you were here one clear thing that God wants you to be doing. If you hear here last week, how we started the sermon was saying, hey, all of us at different moments try to figure out what's God's purpose for me, what does God want for me, what's God's will, should I go, should I stay, should I start, should I stop? And what I promised you, that I delivered on, was you would leave here with absolute clarity about one thing that God wants you to be doing and you're gonna leave here with clarity about one thing that is God's will for your life and God's purpose for your life because it's one thing that Jesus has told us. And the one thing, we studied this conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and we saw that God's mission for us, if we're followers of Jesus, is very, very simple, right? One large overarching thing in his mission for Jesus, we saw it out of Matthew 28, 19, and here's where we were last week. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what we said is one clear mission, one clear Piece of God's will for your life is this phrase right here, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. You can still wonder if he wants you to buy the house or sell the house or take the job or quit the job or date the girl or dump the girl. But one thing that you do not need to wonder about what God wants for you is this, what God wants for you to be doing and me to be doing and us to be doing is to make Disciples. And then we said that there's these three kind of different modifiers of that, this idea of go, teach, baptize. We learned that main command last week. And for those of us who heard it, I guess the question is, when you rolled out of here in your minivan or your car or your Jeep or your moped or however you got here, did you give any thought to this over the past seven days? As you thought about how you were going to make choices, as you thought about what your future looked like, as you thought about, man, what am I going to do next month? What am I going to do next year? Did Anywhere in those conversations, did you put the lens on of, okay, what is going to help me and better position me to make disciples? How can I make some of the choices in front of me through the lens of making disciples with all the things that you thought about this past seven days? Did you give any time? thinking about, okay, I need to have this priority this week, this day of, do man, what does it look like now today for me to take a step towards making disciples? Is that something we thought about it because it's something that Jesus made very, very clear that his disciples were to think about. It is the commission. It is the mission that he charged them and us to go out with, and it matters. It matters. We're studying this. We saw this because as the prior graphic showed, we're in this series called After, and we've been walking through about five or six. We all talk about the events leading up to Easter, but infrequently do we think about, well, what happened after after Jesus' resurrection? So we've been spending five or six weeks thinking about what happened after his resurrection. And we've seen how he showed up to two guys on a road trip. We showed that one of his followers was like, dude, I don't believe this resurrection nonsense. And Jesus gave hope and comfort. We saw that there was a leader that had been a huge part of Jesus' ministry who made a huge failure. And Jesus restored him, and Jesus loved him, and Jesus got him back in the game. We saw Jesus give the mission to his disciples. And this week, we're one or two weeks away from wrapping up our series. And... Last week, between Jesus giving the mission to his disciples to make disciples, and we're going to see this week at the end, Jesus is going to leave the earth and ascend back up into heaven. And between these two moments of the mission and the ascension, that's the big fancy word for Jesus going back up to heaven, there's a conversation that Jesus has that he's he's doubling down. and and expanding some of what he said last week that we're going to be looking at today relating to their mission. He's told them what he wanted them to do. And he gave them three modifiers about how to do that. But what he's going to do today is have this extended conversation to give them some more information, some more help, instead of just saying, hey, go make disciples. One of the uh, most favorite things that I've done, it's going to sound weird. My wife always gets nervous when I just randomly start things. Uh, During COVID, um, Casey and I have a friend who owns the uh, Wallingford Chick-fil-A. If you don't know it, I mean, Chick-fil-A is next to godliness, okay, so... Don't be talking about Popeye's chicken sandwich. But, uh, man, COVID shut down a lot of their employees. They couldn't get it. They were swamped. I think my son was working for them at the time. And in a passing conversation, because the way we did things had changed a little bit. But regardless of that, Fridays are my day off. So Fridays, unless it's a funeral emergency, I'm I'm just off, right? And so he's like, I need help. And I'm like, well, I mean, I can come on some Fridays and, and help you out at the restaurant. And he's like, good, you're hired. I'm like, whoa! So... Many Fridays, if you ate at the Wallingford Chick-fil-A, you had cuisine prepared by these serve-safe cert—no, it's true, serve-safe-certified hands. Um, one, uh, you guys are like, what does this have to do with Jesus? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm so far into it, it's like eject, eject, goose, goose. Um, <laughs> This is what has to do with Jesus. So, one of, I had one place that I worked that I was the master at, man. Even like these 20 year old kids were like, dude, for an old man, you're good at this. I'm like, you got out. Right. One of my least favorite places to work was French fries. So, one day, one Friday, I went in there and they're like, hey, you're going to make the French fries. I'm like, dang, God. okay, yes, sir, French fries. Now, if they had just said, make French fries, it would have been a disaster. If they had just given me the mission and commission of your mission, make friendship, I'd be like, bro, I don't know what I'm doing. So what they did was because they're wise, they came along and they gave me some, some advice, some, some conversation, some tips on what was involved in doing my mission. They taught me, here's how you dump it, here's how you start the fryer, there's where the extras, here's how you get the salt, here's what you do if people want extra crispy, less crispy, less salt, don't be those people. More salt. (laughs) Don't be those people, okay? And I'm just telling you, if you order your nuggets extra crispy, they ain't extra crispy. All right. But see, if they had just said make french fries, I, I don't even know how to start. And so what they did is they came along and they gave me some pieces of some steps, right? They fr- uh, framed out some things that I would need to do in order to make the French fries. That's what Jesus is going to do today. What Jesus is going to do today is say, hey guys, last week I told you to make disciples, but this week I'm going to come along and have some conversations with you that give you some tips, that give you some steps, that frame out what you need to do in order to accomplish the thing that I've sent you out to do. We're going to be in Luke 24, verses 44 to 53, Luke 24, verses 44 to 53, and we're going to see six mission principles. Six mission principles. Before we move into the content of these, let me just kind of set up the context. There's a little bit of um, uncertainty, disagreement between some scholars. Some scholars, theologians think that in the conversation that Jesus had where he said from where we saw last week, right? Some scholars think that in this same conversation, in the same moment, all that we're going to read today is also what Jesus said. Other scholars are like, no, 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 Jesus said this one day, and then you know, several days later, probably about, uh, I don't know, eight to ten days later, when he goes up to heaven, right before he ascends to heaven, he has the conversation we're going to look at, right? A little bit of uh, differing views about when this happened, but that doesn't change any of the content of what Jesus said. So regardless of when exactly in the timeline Jesus says these things, the question is, what were the words that Jesus said, and what did he tell them, and how does that help you and me with our mission principles? So let me jump into it. Luke 24, verses, uh, starting in verse 44. Then he said to him, them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ, the Christ is a word for the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here's what Jesus did. We read it, but let's make sure we understand it. All throughout the Old Testament, what we say a lot here at Calvary is the Jewish people were looking for a political king to come. They were looking for a political leader to come, and there are all sorts of prophecies about what would be associated with the life of that political king, that Messiah, that Savior, that deliverer, prophecies about where he would be born, how he would be killed, he would be betrayed, what would happen to the clothes that he was wearing when people arrested him, all these prophecies, each of which was specifically fulfilled in Jesus, and what Jesus is doing is saying, okay, guys, let me make, we're going to have a little, we're gonna have a little uh, tutorial here, guys. Let's go back through the Old Testament. Grab your free coffee, he's telling his disciples. Let's walk through every single prophecy about the Messiah, and let me make sure, disciples, that you understand how I have fulfilled that. Okay? Sit down by the campfire, grab a coffee. There was this prophecy about the Messiah. It's me. This prophecy about the Messiah, that's me. He was giving them the content that they needed to know and he wanted to make sure they knew the content about who he was. One of the things that was involved in their making disciples was their ability to teach, right? Make disciples, go and teach. And he wanted to make sure that they were taught about the very things that they would need to teach others. And the content, the information that he wanted to make sure they were taught because as they went to make disciples, it would be essential for them to teach this to other people, were, right, that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised king, that he was the promised deliverer, and that as the Messiah and as the promised king, he also was the way that people could have their sins forgiven and enter God's kingdom. Two pieces of content. Messiah and the way to have your sins forgiveness. What is interesting is if you start reading the book of Acts and you look at the very first thing Peter said, you look at the second thing Peter said, you look at the third thing Peter said, you look at Paul, when all these dudes give their first sermons, you know what they say? Jesus was the Messiah. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Remember that in the Old Testament? It's Jesus. Jesus teaches them the content that they're supposed to know so they can teach others, and then they actually go out, and that is what forms their teaching. Here's the first mission principle for you and for me. As we make disciples, as we pursue that mission, and I sure hope that this is something you're thinking about in the days after Sunday. Three days a week. I'm not, look, I... um, (laughs) I I am not saying I'm the best Christian in the world because I'm not, okay? Um, What I am saying is in this particular season of my life, the things that we're studying on Sunday morning together is something that I'm just running through my own grid daily. Daily. What I write down in my journal, make disciples. What am I going to do to get me closer to that mission? Daily. Am I positioning myself in the way that I most effectively, with who I am and how I'm wired, can make disciples? I mean, I'm thinking about this because it's what Jesus told me to do. And I hope you're thinking about it because it's what Jesus told you to do. And you don't want to waste it. Don't waste it. And what Jesus says is make disciples. And part of your disciple making is teaching. And so here's the first mission principle personally know what you are to publicly teach. Personally know what you are to publicly teach. Have you ever gone into some sort of establishment? Make it a, I don't know, know—big Bo- Home Depot, right? Or maybe a whatever big box store. You go to get an electronic, you go get a part, you go up to some worker and you're like, hey, my TV's not working or my whatever's not working and I need a part for it. And they're like, well, what part do you need? And they're like, well, if I knew what part I needed, I wouldn't be asking you, would I? It does no good. When you go to Home Depot and you say, hey, here's the thing that's broken. What should I get? And they're like, I don't know. What do you think you should get? I don't know what I should get. You're the expert, right? You should be trained in this. You should give me the information, right? It doesn't do us any good when the people who should know things don't know what they're supposed to know. And so as people who are making disciples chasing after that, personally know what you are to publicly teach. And... Listen, here's the encouragement. That doesn't mean you need a Ph.D. in theology. None of Jesus' disciples had a Ph.D. in theology. They were blue-collar, many of them. Some of them were professionals. I mean, that's the beauty of it. There's diversity. But, man, a bunch of these guys who had the biggest impact were just, man, good, hard-working, blue-collar folks who changed the world for Jesus. Didn't have a Ph.D. in theology, but they did know what they were supposed to know in order that they could teach that to other people. One thing in disciple-making in the past, interestingly, couple of weeks, some of us have talked about this, right? It has two pieces. It, to make a disciple has a conversion piece. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus converts to begin following Jesus. And then it has a maturation piece, matures in their following of Jesus, both of which dynamics, we're called, we're invited, we're challenged, we're commanded to be part of it. And so, if there's somebody who doesn't know Jesus and we're trying to obediently engage with them to make them a disciple of Jesus, the first thing we need to be able to tell them is how do you even get into a relationship with Jesus? We need to personally know what we are to publicly teach about how one enters into a relationship with Jesus. And evangelical Christians have gotten sloppy. We use code words, we use buzzwords, we use incorrect words, And many evangelical Christians don't even really understand the key simple components of what moves somebody into a What is the gospel? About 10 years ago, or not my goodness, longer than that, when I was in Savannah, Georgia... Uh, we had a bunch of young adults, a bunch of twenty-year-olds, a bunch of amazing kids, and there was—it's a good phase. But there was these phase where these twenty-year-olds just want—and you may not even know who this guy is—they just wanted to read John Piper and fight theology, and every other word was gospel. Like, I'm going to go to Barbaritos for the good of the gospel. I'm going to go get me some gospel barbecue. It's like, bro, you—you you don't even—it became this buzzword that nobody even knew what it means. Here is what the Bible says is necessary to explain to somebody to come into God's kingdom. Sin, separation, substitute faith. Sin, separation, substitute faith. Sin, separation, substitute faith. The gospel is not, hey, you know what, if you want to get right with God, why don't you just start coming to church? The gospel is not, man, if you want to be forgiven with God, you need to stop partying on a Friday night and stop shocking up with your girlfriend. The gospel is not, well, if you, you know, man, if you just work harder and do better for Jesus, that's what he's going to look at at the end of the day to determine if you get to heaven. No, he will look at things like that to see how obedient we are and how faithful we are, but he's not going to look at that to see if we're in a relationship with him. The gospel is this, sin, separation, substitute, faith. There is sin that everybody was born into and everybody is committed. That sin has separated us from God. God who is just. God who knows that sin causes devastation. God who is holy and can't be near sin. And a just God would not allow something horrific that causes damage to go unpunished. But a loving God doesn't want to punish the people that he loves. And so Jesus was a substitute Who stood in my place and your place and was punished for us and because of us so that we would never need to experience the wrath of God. He took our sin and he gave us forgiveness so that we could be restored back into relationship with God so that we could enter into God's kingdom. And we then have to respond to that. We can never respond unless the Holy Spirit first initiates and awakens our spiritual blindness. But as the Holy Spirit's awaking us, there is a response that's required, and that response is faith. We are saved by grace, not because we're good enough or nice enough or clean ourselves. We are saved by grace, but we receive that grace through faith. The gospel is sin sin that's separated, but there is a substitute who stood in our place. And if we want the benefit of what the substitute of Jesus has given to us, then we receive that by faith. That is the gospel. That is what, if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to know that content so that you can then publicly teach other people that. The gospel is not, do you wanna see God when you die? Okay, if you do, then you're a Christian. You just lost Jeopardy. I, <clears throat> I, I, I always get in trouble when I say this, but I ha, I, I'm going to say it. Why not? <laughs> so I have gray in my hair. I get in trouble for a lot. Listen, uh, one thing I realize that I try to, I, I know I've been to seminary. And not everybody's had that, right? But if you're a parent or if you're a teacher of children or if you're discipling kids in your neighborhood, even if they're four or five, tell them the gospel. And sometimes we tell them things that we think they can understand, like ask Jesus into your heart. But, but that doesn't put the context. A five-year-old can understand this. And so sometimes what we do is we try to simplify it. But then at the end of the day, it creates confusion. And we say to somebody, are you a Christian? Well, ask Jesus into my heart. Okay. And you ask this 20-year-old. Well, okay, that's good. But what about, why did he die? I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. But I asked him into my heart because I went to church once and grandma told me I should. They can handle it. Let's give them the content that Jesus would want them to have. Why did Jesus take all of that time to go through all the Old Testament to talk about the Messiah? Why did Jesus in that time, 2,000 years ago, in that moment, in that culture, with that group of people, in that particular place, in that particular time, in that particular culture, why did he talk about Messiah, 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 Messiah? Right? Here's why. Because the initial group, to whom those disciples would have their first conversation, that was the question they were asking. The initial group to whom those people would have their first conversation were the Jewish people. And the Jewish people rooted into their, at the core of their faith, was this belief about the Messiah. If you talk to the Jews about, do you believe a Messiah is going to come? They'd be like, absolutely. If you'd say, do you believe these prophecies about the Messiah to be true? They would say, yes. Right? They, they, they were all about Messiah. And, and what Jesus knew is that the first group of people to whom his disciples would go, the question of the Messiah, the issue of the Messiah was the question that they would be asking. There was a commonly held belief, right? And so what he's doing is he's saying, look, I want to prepare you to go have the conversations with the people about the questions that they're asking. I want to prepare you to go to the place where there's already common ground. You don't need to come up with anything different. There is common ground about the Messiah with the people that you're going to go make disciples of. So start where there's already common ground. Here's what that has to do for us, second principle on mission. Consider starting conversations from shared beliefs or worldviews. Consider starting conversations with from shared belief or worldviews when you're going to engage with somebody who's not a Christian one thing that I man that's helpful a lot of people always think about is okay is there something that we agree upon because whatever we agree upon whatever even if they don't use the same words whatever truth from this is part of their truth I'm going to start there why bring them to some place that they're not there when I can start from somebody where they already are I'm going to get them Maybe. I mean, I'm going to share with them truths that they may not yet believe, but it's a whole lot easier to start from commonly held truth. I don't mean we compromise the message, but, but here's what I'm saying. If you want to start a conversation with somebody who, man, they, they, they believe that things are bad in the world. You do not need to convince them that things are bad in the world. You do not need to convince them that things are broken. Start there. There's the conversation. Why? Yeah, man, things are broken. Why? Why? If you're in a conversation with somebody who says something to you like, yeah, you know, I'm not really religious, but I do believe there's a higher power. Guess what? You know what this book says? The book says there is a higher power. The book says there is a higher power, and then it tells us who that higher power is. If somebody says to you, yeah, I, I'm not really spiritual. Church isn't for me, but yeah, I believe there's a higher power. Man, Awesome so do I. Tell me about your higher power. Start there. If somebody says to you, right, I just feel like there's more to this life, start there. For us in disciple making, we don't need to start where they're not when we're able to start where they already are. That's what Jesus had his guys go out to do. Start where they are. They want to talk about Messiah. They believe in Messiah. They're there. Start from the common foundation, as we've said. Consider starting conversations from shared beliefs or world views. Jesus taught them the things that they should say, right? He he wanted them to have a common foundation with the people. But but with whom did he tell them to start? He's told them content-wise what to start, but let's press into a little bit with whom, right? Well, we've seen it in Luke 24. Well, we haven't seen it because I don't think, I guess I read it. 24, 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Right? But what's this word? What's this word? (laughs) (laughs) Beginning, Right? Beginning. Here's what he says. End goal. But, but here's where you start. What he says is, I want you to begin these Messiah-centered, disciple-making engagements and focus, begin it in Jerusalem. Okay, some of you have been like, oh, that's interesting, but here's where it becomes even more interesting. The, the, understand the significance. Of, we need to understand where they are when Jesus tells them those things. Where were they when Jesus tells them those things? Well, uh, Luke twenty let's read that. Here, here's the deal with Luke. Luke wrote two books. He wrote Luke, which is Jesus to the church, and then he wrote Acts, which is after Jesus, the rest of the church. Luke wrote both of those. And in both of those, he tells us where this conversation happened. So, Luke twenty four fifty fifty two, 52. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, and they returned to Bethany. Jerusalem. Acts 1 8 gives another perspective on this, and then verse 12, right? So, Acts 1 8, I think we have it. But if we don't, ah! But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which, in case it's like. In case we've never played Jeopardy about ancient Near East geography, right, Luke's like, I'm going to give those people a little, the Holy Spirit's like, somebody in 2022 isn't going to know Israel's geography. So I'll give them a little hint. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, right? So let's throw this map up. Here's where all this conversation is taking place. I know it's a little blurry. Over here is Bethany. I am now hanging out just on the other side of this mountain in um, a little town called Bethany. There's Jerusalem. And so what happened is Jesus has this conversation with him in the Jerusalem metro area. And he says, hey, guys, let's have this conversation. And there's, they, most people think he's, they're probably right at the base right about here. And he says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, right? I've told you about the content to start in a common ground. And now I want you to start back into Jerusalem. I want you to start right where we are. Right? You're here, guys. You're in the Jerusalem metro area, you're going back to the Jerusalem metro area, and that's the place that I want you to start your mission of disciple making. Here's the mission principle for you and for me, right? Jerusalem, is they were Jewish folks culturally that's where they were culturally that's the culture that they knew that's where they location-wise were and here's the third mission principle for you start your mission where you already are and with those closest to you your mission is to make disciples you don't need to pray about it you don't need to make an appointment with me to determine if that's god's will for your life and when you're pursuing that mission, which is what Jesus wants you to do, the principle he set up is, hey, start your mission where you already are and with those closest to you. Is everybody on your street a Christian? Does everybody on your street know Jesus? Does everybody in your dorm know Jesus? Is everybody at your job even heard of Jesus? Sports team, are they all believers? I don't think so, because if they were, this wouldn't be the most unchurched post-Christian top one or two regions in the country. There are people all around. There are people across the door, across your yard, across your cubicle, across the seat of your pickup truck or across the back of the ambulance who you work with. Who don't know Jesus. Now, do we have to be wise in how we have conversations? We do, right? We, we have to be wise. We have to be, um, as the, Jesus says, innocent as doves, wise as serpents, right? There's a way to have these conversations, but there's people all around you to have the conversations with. What some of us do, and I uh, am a proponent of it, I, I do think there's lots of different models of evangelism, and different models, even ones that would not be what I would want to do, can be highly effective. Um, one model is relational evangelism, right? Which is great. I mean, Jesus incarnated himself. He built relationships. And what some of us said is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a relationship with my neighbor. I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to let them get to know me. I'm going to let them. And that's, that is good. That is wise. That is Jesus honoring, right? I'm going to let them know me. I'm going to let them know I'm not some crazy person. And then once they develop a friendship with me, man, then we're going to start talking about Jesus. That's good. But if you've ever done that in your life, the question I'd ask you is, how long have you known that neighbor or friend? And have you yet had a conversation with him about Jesus? And I don't have any stats to back this up, but I bet the vast majority of us would say, no. (laughs) I mean, I've known him for 12 years, and it's great. But I've never yet had a relationship or a conversation about Jesus. I'm not saying the people are projects. They're not. They are individuals made in the image of God that we're not trying to make a sales pitch to you to close a deal. But if some of us had said, man, I've I've invested my life in the life of somebody else and they've invested their lives in mine and I believe this to be true and important and we talk about everything, well then how come we haven't yet talked about that? Start your mission where you already are and with those closest to you, but the mission was never supposed to end there. That's not where the mission's supposed to end. Starting point. And there's some conversation again about whether this was a sequential thing. Um, did it start in Jerusalem and then move out to Judea, Samaria, and Israel were sequentially? That's how Axis structures it. So I think there's good um, support for that. Other people will argue that it all was happening at once. I don't necessarily see that, but it could have been. But the point of that is at the end of the day, it wasn't supposed to just stop where they were. It was supposed to go everywhere it was supposed to go everywhere. Luke 24, 47, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. All nations. When Luke is recounting the same conversation in the book of Acts, he adds some more detail to it. He unpacks that and frames it out. He says, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit is come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea. And then these are two really important words. Then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Samaria, man, the disciples did not like people in Samaria. They were prejudiced toward them. They did not, the disciples, I mean, I shouldn't say necessary disciples, but within the disciples' culture, which would have been within the disciples' worldview to some degree would have been like, man, we don't hang out with those people. People aren't nice enough. They're not good enough. They're not pure enough. They're kind of stinky. They're kind of smelly. We don't want anything to do with them. And Jesus says, I don't care. I want something to do with them. So guess what, Bubba? Get your knapsack. Get your Nalgene because I'm going to make you go there. I'm going to make you go to people all the ends of the earth, throughout most of the Old Testament, the whole story of the Jews is we are going to purposefully isolate ourselves from people who are not culturally like us. That was, what God, that was part of God's plan for them. He was going to make them a distinct nation, right? Who was different, who was separated. But then when Jesus comes in the New Covenant, it smashes those old strategies and says, hey, you spent your whole religious life obediently separating yourself, but man, now I am... Jesus says the days of separation are gone. And for the Jewish people, this would have been like, oh my goodness. like I've done everything in my life to not have to be near those people because that is what God wanted. But now God wants something different. It would have been like, yikes. And Jesus says, yeah. you got to engage. you got to interact with when you're on mission with people that perhaps you spent your entire life not being with. you got to interact with people you don't like who don't look like you, and and I'm changing the rules. You've got to interact with people that you spent your entire life separated from. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't want to be separated from them. Because Jesus loves them. And Jesus says, hey, the game's not over. I'm going up to heaven. But man, the only way these people will know is through the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit aligned with your obedience to make disciples. Mission principle four. Help the mission extend to people and places beyond where you are now. Start where you are, but help the mission extend to where you are. And that may create opportunities for you to get outside your comfort zone. This is never a book about being in your comfort zone. The reason a lot of us, including myself, miss out on vibrant Christianity is because we want to reinforce and live within our comfort zone. And when this book presses us to get outside it, we ignore the book and we choose our comfort zone. And yet Jesus... The one we follow, man, he was like taking a bazooka to the comfort zone of those first 11 disciples. Now, some of us may think, well, I mean, like, man, we've been, this thing's been going on for 2,000 plus years. Like, we got technology, we got all this thing. Let me just share some information I looked at this week. Uh, this is according to the Joshua Project, okay? Let me read a definition to you of this. <clears throat> there, when you get into missions and missions conversations. There's all sorts of ink spilled about um, th- th- this idea of nations is not countries. When Jesus says all nations, that doesn't mean like look at the globe, get in every nations. It actually means cultures, people groups, right? Ethnicities, right? So within countries, there are lots of different people groups. There are lots of different subcultures. That's what's talked about when it talks about go to all the nations. Missiologists, Debate How do you define things? But we're going to use this definition of an unreached people group. This is the definition we're going to use according to the Joshua Project, a group that studies how far the gospel is spread throughout the world. No, this is how they define it. An unreached people group is there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. The definition of unreached people group is there's not enough Christians in that particular people group or that particular ethnicity right that particular subculture to evangelize that subculture by themselves they need outside assistance and if they don't have outside assistance then the gospel as of now will not spread throughout that culture okay that's the definition we're going to use here is the studies they sell right now there are 17,432 people groups in the world according to the joshua project There are 7,416 unreached people groups, meaning there's not enough Christians in this group of ethnically similar people to evangelize or have the gospel spread so that people within that group will be able to hear the gospel in a meaningful way. That's what that means. And when you break that down, that is 3 million, 3.29, sorry, billion unreached people. According to the Joshua Project, There are 3.29 billion people who do not have enough people in their own culture or people group to effectively assure that one of those people will hear the gospel. Unless there are people who get on mission and go and make disciples and partner with the Christians who are in this people group so that there's some traction. That is a lot of people. Now, God is sovereign. God is the one who calls people, right? God, God, and you know what's interesting in 1 Peter? The, the, the Christians are asking this question of, why is not Jesus come back yet? By the way, we're doing Revelation in the fall, so we'll talk all about Jesus coming back yet. Not because I think the world's ending. I told somebody at a party last night. I'll tell you who the Antichrist is. No, I won't. I will tell you, anybody who tells you who the Antichrist is, is a nincompoop, and we'll talk about it from Scripture. But, but here's what's interesting. P- people are asking Peter, hey, how co- why isn't Jesus coming back? They're making fun of these Christians who are saying, Jesus is coming back, and the church is like, Peter, bro, help us out. We're telling all these people Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back. Give us some context. And here's what Peter says. You know why Jesus hasn't yet come back? Because he doesn't want any to perish. And so he is letting the clock run in hopes that more and more people will hear the story of the gospel and respond to the story of the gospel and enter into his kingdom instead of perishing. And he's letting the clock run until his sovereignty, he thinks, there's been enough time. 3.29 billion people. These souls are not more valuable than the souls across the street. They're not. I'm not saying that, I'm not suggesting that. All I'm saying is the story doesn't end with the souls across your street. This is a lot of people. You know what I worry about? Do I need new cabinets in my kitchen? Jesus says, don't worry about the cabinets in your kitchen. If you're in my, man, I got, A glorious future in heaven that will blow away your Anderson windows and remodeled bathroom. But until you get there, man, get on mission. Get on mission. Because there's work to be done. Some of you have heard this so many times. I've heard this so many times. And yet some of us just don't do anything about it. And as they're on mission, this is the most encouraging part, and we'll wind down with this. What was the pressure on them? Oh my gosh, we, we got to figure this out and do it to some degree. Yeah, but was the ultimate pressure on them to fix it, to convert people, right? Did they have to take that weight and that mantle to go do it? No, because back in Luke 24:49, here's what he says, right? In Acts 1.8, we see when the Holy Spirit comes. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Acts 1.8 says when the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will give you power. And then you will be my witnesses to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying is there is a power above you and bigger than you and more dependent than you that is going to enable you and empower you to go do what you're asked to do. You just do what I tell you to do. My flat roof on my house leaked. And we tried a few different roofers and it still leaked. So Jim Taylor... Who is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet? He, um, man, who just serves so many of you and who adores and just, man, passionate about kids knowing about Jesus and students. Jim Taylor used to be a contractor and a very good one. So he's like, All right, Peter, we're going to fix your roof. I'm like, All right, let's go. And so Jim's like, We're going to fix your roof. Now, here's what I need you to do. And he'd tell me what to do. And I would go do it. I'd get the stuff. Then he's like, okay, here's what I need you to do next. You get up there, da, da, da. And then when you don't know what to do, then I'll come along and help you. Right? And I'm so glad he did. Because you know what I got to do? I got to rip stuff off. I got to go to Home Depot and feel like a man and walk around with a pen behind my ear, knowing that somebody was gonna be there to help me to make sure it got done the right way, who actually know what they were doing, who had the power to make sure my roof doesn't leak. My roof doesn't leak. Not because I did it, but because somebody who actually knew what they were doing, who had the skills, who had the power to get the job done, got the job done. You know what I did? I just got the box of nails he told me to and cleaned up the trash on the roof, and ripped off things where he told me to rip, because I didn't have to worry about it, because somebody who knew what they were doing, who was able to do it, was doing it with me. Here's the next mission principle. Act obediently, trusting the Spirit. Act obediently, trusting the Spirit. The pressure is not on you. The pressure, the success of the mission is not linked with how good you are able to do the mission. All you got to do is just obediently do it, and then trust God with the results. That goes against everything within a type A person, because we want to drive the results. You can't change souls. You, you can't open and take away the spiritual blinders on people's eyes, but we can obey. And then we can rest, leaving the results up to God. Act obediently, trusting The Spirit. And then Jesus departed. And it's really interesting because uh, if I was inspiring the Holy Spirit, the Bible, if I was God, I would have had like the departure would have been pages, right? It would have been like the American Idol finale. I think in another life, I'm going to be the producer of American Idol finales or like the X Factor finale, right? Because man, I'm good at that. I can get the music going. I'll get some confetti dropping. We'll all come in and sing. And then the choir will sing and Simon Cowell will be weeping and it'll be spectacular, right? I would have like made this big. I would have talked about clouds. I would have described the building. It is like One sentence. Here is what Luke says about the King of Kings leaving the physical presence of earth and going up to heaven. Here's what he says. Let him out to Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. One sentence. It's like, dude, one sentence. And you know why? Maybe, right? Very simple, very matter of fact. And and perhaps. That's because in this particular focus of Luke, the point is not about Jesus leaving. Maybe it's because the point is people have been left behind to now go do something. And the focus is on what are the people who have been left behind now going to do. The baton has been passed. And what Luke is focusing on in this moment is not so much the one who passed the baton who went away, but the group to whom the baton has been passed to say, How well are they going to run now? How well are they going to run? Here's the last principle the clock is ticking, and you're on the clock. The clock is ticking, and you're on the clock. We've all played that game with that stupid egg timer that you got to like draw the picture before the sand runs out. We've all, maybe you haven't. The thing I hated when I was in school was the president's physical fitness test. Ah! I would be home eating raw chicken the night before hoping I was throwing up. Not really. But the president's physical fitness test some point you and all the jocks would have to line up on something back in the 70s and 80s and your gym teacher with the Larry Borden shorts that were a little too Larry Borden short would have the stopwatch and he'd take the stopwatch and he'd say, go. Chuck, 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 chuck. Then you better go. The clock's ticking, guys. The clock's ticking. And we're on the clock. And I personally, however many more minutes I have on that clock, man, I want the Lord to be able to leverage those richly and meaningfully. And I struggle with that because I've told you a thousand times I get distracted by so many trivial things because I make them so real and important because I lose focus because I'm sinful and I'm fallen and I have the wrong priorities and I don't love Jesus as well as I should. But I want to. I want to. I don't want to waste it. I don't know what that means, but I know the clock's ticking for me. The clock's ticking for you. So, man, grab the baton. Grab the baton. And run well for Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here, and I'll close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your patience with us and your love for us. And you're such a good Father. And when I have priorities out of place um, or focus more on myself, you're loving and you're kind and you're always there prompting and compelling me to pursue you as you are for us. And so, Father, for the person in the room, if there's anybody in the room or online who's been really trying to discern what your call is on them or what you have for them, We, you give very, very particular, clear guidance about what it means for them to make disciples in this context? Will you give us an increased burden for people who don't know Jesus and the reality of the gospel press upon us? May we be grateful uh, for the joyous opportunity that we have to obey you. And for those of us who may not know what that means, God, may we just faithfully trust you where you have us and pursue discipleship there Uh, father thank you for the spirit that we depend upon uh, and guide us for the glory of jesus and the good of his kingdom amen
0: let's stand as we close together uh, with one final song us today. Uh, Pray that you go on mission, be obedient and faithful to uh, making disciples. Have a great week. Go in peace.